Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. If instead Putin doubles down, then so shall we, further ratcheting up economic pressure and supporting Ukraine with finance. Sanctions have to be as powerful as they can possibly be. We will be pushing the government to go further and faster. We could have a massive miscalculation and we will then be in a full-scale war across the globe. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Very good afternoon. Coming up on today's programme, the government rethinks its appetite for cookies. We speak to Julia Lopez, the Minister for Data, about the government's plans to overhaul data regulation after Brexit. And in a week that has rocked the markets, we talk to journalist and author Duncan Weldon and Bloomberg opinion columnist Javier Blas about the economic shockwave coming towards the UK. But first, the UK is set to face travel disruption not seen in decades next week. From rail workers going on strike to airports seeing staff shortages, expect delays and cancellations across the board. Transport Secretary Grant Shapps appealed directly to rail workers yesterday. So I say to the workforce, your union bosses have driven you to the verge of a national strike under false pretenses. And rather than protect your jobs, they are actually threatening your jobs. Well, one think tank estimates that the strikes could cost the economy almost £100 million, not to mention that it comes right as the Conservatives defend their seats in two by-elections next week. But there is political agreement that the airlines could have actually planned a bit better for the summer. Labour's shadow Attorney General Emily Thornbury spoke about this today. When I've spoken to airline staff, and I have, they've said they can't believe that the airlines have been so short-sighted, have laid off so many staff, and now they realise they can't get them back. There could be one other bright spot for the government, though, as the Labour Party seems unable to find a clear stance on the strikes. OK, so on to the economy. It's a pretty grim picture. Uh, uh, 
And after, of course, raising interest rates yesterday, Bank of England officials boosted their inflation forecast again, seeing it peak above 11%. Now, markets are betting that the central bank will have to raise the base rate several more times to 3% by the end of the year. Joining us now is Bloomberg's EMEA government and economy reporter, Lizzie Burden. Lizzie, good to have you on the programme. I mean, there are just so many headwinds for the UK economy right now, but I think the biggest and the one that clearly has voters' attention is inflation. Inflation is prices going up. Yeah, but this is interesting because this is why you've got the split on the nine-member Monetary Policy Committee because on the one hand, there are three members who are pretty optimistic about the resilience of demand and you could see that in the GDP data on Monday. People still are going out and spending their money even though you've got a cost of living crisis. But the other six members of the Monetary Policy Committee, the majority who voted for the 25 basis point hike instead of a bolder 50 move, they think that inflation is going to get so high, they've revised their forecast, they see it now peaking at 11% when the energy price cap lifts in October, that inflation starts to tame itself by weighing on demand. So this impact of the cost of living crisis is the fundamental split in the committee. When it comes to the the broader picture now, who is the most under pressure to get a handle on this? Is it Andrew Bailey in the Bank of England or is it Boris Johnson or is it Rishi Sunak? It's like a game of tennis, isn't it? Passing the book. But we just had Hugh Pill, the chief economist of the Bank of England on Bloomberg TV. And he was talking about the fact that the Bank of England has an issue because monetary policy has a time lag, right? It takes 18 months to take effect. Mm. So there's very little that they can do about the immediate inflation problem other than by talking tough. That's why at previous meetings, the governor has called for the the Treasury to be bolder and bring in more fiscal support. Hence why we had that £15 billion package from Rishi Sunak in the interim. But of course, that has two-sided risks as well. Like in the um, uh, minutes of this latest Bank of England meeting, it said that not only will it boost GDP, but it will also add to the inflation problem. So whatever any side uh, does of the policy, whether it's monetary or fiscal, it has two-sided risks. Okay, how are the Tories then going to be able to deal with this? I mean, we we are expecting a a speech at some point from the Prime Minister and and the Chancellor, surely, aren't we? Yes, I think they're going to look at what the opportunities of Brexit will be, which is a difficult package to sell when you're also trying to override parts of the Brexit deal you agreed with Brussels, which, uh, if if the EU retaliates with a trade war, could add to the cost of living crisis. Uh, but Rishi Sunak has and um, has been saying that, you know, the, the government has supported the economy yeah. in steps. You know, they had the furlough programme. Yeah. You've had the help at the March budget, which focused really on the squeezed middle, for example, with the fuel mm-hmm. duty cut. Mm-hmm. Then you had the March, but uh, this extra fiscal package. You can't expect the Chancellor to give it all up front because it's going to add to inflation. OK, Lizzie Burden, our EMEA economics and government reporter. Thank you very much for that. Now, the government, meanwhile, has unveiled plans to overhaul data protection rules after Brexit. They say it could save businesses £100 million a year. Anna Edwards and I have been speaking to the data minister, Julia Lopez, about this. This is a really important piece of uh, post-Brexit legislation. We are trying to make uh, the data system work better for scientists, for businesses, but also for citizens. Uh, we're trying to reduce the red tape that businesses have to deal with, move to a more outcomes-based uh, regulatory system, uh, make it easier for scientists to be able to use data uh, to get scientific advance, and also to help uh, to give more personalised 
services to citizens and to try and reduce some of those everyday frustrations that people feel, particularly in relation to cookie banners. But uh, we're also making a number of reforms to our, uh, our regulator, the ICO, uh, to make it uh, a, more, a more powerful, better governed institution that can hold uh, people to account on high standards of privacy and trust, um, but also to make sure that we're focusing on the right things uh, to give businesses and scientists more flexibility in how they use data. Now, a lot of the changes being put in place here are changes to what was the EU's GDPR, General yeah. Data Protection Regulation, which is considered by most experts in this field the gold standard when it comes to protecting consumers. Why remove protections that are already there? I think it's important to know we're not removing protections. We're keeping the same levels of standards. What we're doing is giving people more flexibility in how they deliver those uh, high levels of uh, consumer protection. Um, you know, we're, we're not ripping everything up and, and starting all over again. Uh, we're keeping the high standards within the GDPR, but as I say, giving people more flexibility in how they deliver them. Is this, is this being driven by complaints about cookie pop-ups? Is that, is that the big thing that, uh, that annoys people that you're trying to act on here? I think on a consumer level, people are frustrated by cookie pop-ups. I think we all feel that frustration when we browse the internet. We want to make browsing the internet a, a, a smoother process. Uh, we, but, I mean, you know, this is, a, this is a thing where we want to try and remove some of the most uh, unwieldy parts of those cookie pop-ups whilst maintaining we, high standards. Yeah. And, what are we losing, though, by not having the ability to say... Uh, well, I mean, the ICO will be uh, empowered to, to enforce that. Uh, but there'll be a situation where uh, the signals that are being sent by your browser will have to be adhered to uh, by those websites that uh, that are uh, taking those signals. But will it be a case then that people will have to complain if they, these boxes pop up more than once and, and kind of follow that up? I'm, I'm just wondering about what the process is, given that it's generally quite difficult for data protection regulators to act in this sort of area. Yeah, I mean, as I say, this is going to be a process which we develop over time with the ICO. I mean, we're trying to set the direction at, at this point in time. Um, as I say, we're going to remove um, having to have a cookie pop-up for really things that are, are, are harmless in terms of collecting uh, information about the, the volume of visitors in your, on your website. But mm-hmm. over time, as I say, we're going to be working closely with the regulator and with the internet uh, service providers to, to move towards the browser system. Thinking about the, the bigger picture in what you're doing with tech regulation, mm. I was looking at some comments by Tech UK, the trade body representing technology mm. suppliers. They've said that there's a bit of, been a bit of a missed opportunity here, that the strategy is missing a longer term vision or statement of intent about the role that digital technologies could play in tackling some of the systemic problems we face in the UK. Do, have, you, have you talked to them about that? Is that something you're, you're working on? Look, we work really closely with Tech UK, and we we've had a great conference this week, uh, London Tech Week, where they've been incredibly helpful in putting forward a, a great agenda. And we, as, as minister, ministers, have been engaging with that. We've got a huge number of people coming over to London to see everything that we're trying to do here. We've launched a digital strategy. I don't think data is a missed opportunity, uh, but this is going to be a, an ever um, a revolution rather than uh, sorry, <laughs> evolution rather than a revolution. I mean, as I say, we don't want to have a big bang moment where we suddenly move away from GDPR and give businesses a, a huge a number of problems in, in terms of having to come up with a new uh, data uh, system within their own companies. Um, we want to maintain high data protection standards, but also start giving scientists, businesses the flexibility they need to really take advantage of data in the modern economy. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. 
The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Well, with Britain's economy in a tight spot, Tom McKenzie and I spoke to Bloomberg Opinion columnist and expert on energy and commodities, Javier Blas, and also the journalist and author Duncan Weldon, whose latest book is called 200 Years of Muddling Through the Surprising Story of Britain's Economy from Boom to Bust and Back Again. We began by asking Duncan how he sees the UK dealing with these economic challenges and what it means for the government. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, the UK economy isn't in great shape at the moment and the outlook isn't exactly rosy. Um, We're in this very, very strange position. If you go back to the government's last official forecasts from the Office of Budget Responsibility done at the the budget earlier this year, they thought growth was going to be weak, but it was at least going to be positive. Now, the worry was that about 90% of the GDP growth they forecast for this year came from consumer spending. So you're sort of saying that consumers are going to generate 90% of your GDP growth at the same time that they're seeing the biggest falls in their incomes in four decades. Now, you know, that's not exactly um, a comfortable outlook. Um, Economists are historically incredibly bad at spotting British recessions. You know, you can look back at the sort of monthly consensus view Mm. all the way back to the 1980s. If you look at the early 90s recession, if you look at the 2008-9 recession, Britain was already in recession before consensus caught up. The best measure, what's got the best track record in Britain of spotting recessions, is actually consumer confidence. And if we look at that um, GFK measure, it goes, goes back to the 1970s, it's the longest running series, it's now at levels the lowest it's ever been that are consistent with recessions. So I think, you know, your base case has to be 
that a recession is mm. very, very likely this year in Britain. So then, hang on, what is the sort of job that the Bank of England is doing in this situation? Mel Stride, the chair of the Treasury Select Committee, was on radio with us yesterday. He was pretty critical of, well, fairly critical of Andrew Bailey. I'll describe it that way. Have they done it? Are they in a good position, the Bank of England? Well, I think, you know, sort of the, the analogy that Andrew Bailey keeps using that he's clearly decided um, is the one he wants to use is that he's walking a narrow path between high inflation on one side and a weak economy on the other. And that narrow path seems to be getting narrower and narrower and more and more treacherous. You know, we're in this strange position that, you know, the bank only hiking 25 basis points yesterday was seen as somehow dovish. Yeah. Even though free members voted for 50 bips, the bank was very clear, mm. more is coming. You know, that's the strange world we're in now. Okay, Javier Blas, let's bring you in at this point. Of course, energy is such an important component within the inflationary mix, and every jurisdiction has its own idiosyncrasies around that. Uh, the UK, uh, not uh, outstanding. But we do, of course, have very high energy costs here and the impact on, on the consumer. And meanwhile, the geopolitics of Russia and Ukraine, the gas cuts uh, to the rest of Europe that we've seen this week, how are you thinking about oil prices and the historical comparisons to the 1970s? Well, I think that we are going to have high oil prices for the rest of, of the year, whether they're going to be as high as, as now or just around 100 or even higher. Uh, to be seen depends very much on what happens with the, with the global economy, uh, whether we slow down materially as on are expecting or not. But, but just generally, there is a lot of pent-up demand for oil, and uh, a big drop in oil prices is extremely unlikely. I think that the bigger risk is that prices are, are higher than they are now. And then let's not forget, we, we are going to get in the UK a massive increase in electricity and gas retail prices by October when the price cap is updated. And that is going to filter through uh, inflation right away. So uh, I expect to see the biggest impact of high energy inflation in the UK around October, November, just we're getting into the winter and probably the economy is really slowing down at that point. But that's, that's where the pain, the pain is going gonna, is gonna to come. Electricity markets are, are, are a slow motion markets. Are, they take time. It's cumulative monthly averages rather than the price of today. And, and those cumulative averages are just keep going higher and higher and higher and will feel the impact by October. So, Duncan, how much and to what extent does that tie the hands of central banks then? What Javier's laid out is a persistently higher demand for energy costs and energy itself, oil and gas. The costs keep rising. Central banks can't deal with that. How much and to what extent does that hamstrung them? Yeah, central banks can't deal with that. And the bank is very clear it can't deal with that. The bank thinks about 80, 85 percent of the above target inflation it's now dealing with is coming from energy, food prices, supply chain shocks that are out of its hands. What the bank worries about is um, two things. It worries about medium-term inflation expectations becoming unanchored. There's a little bit of evidence of that, not a huge amount. Where I take issue with the bank is the bank is looking at what's happening in the the jobs market, the labour market. The labour market is certainly tight. But the bank is the bank is very optimistic on the jobs market. The bank can see inflationary pressure building there. Whereas I look at the most recent prints from the Office of National Statistics, from recruitment companies, and I can see some some softening. You know, the bank's minutes yesterday has kept talking up upside risks. Mm. I'm a bit more worried about downside risks, um, sort of domestically generated inflation at this point. Harry, just a last thought, would you? Um, what happens if Russia goes, um, you know, the, the whole yard, as it were, and cuts off energy to Europe? Markets are now, today, worried about that. Well, if Russia were to cut uh, completely supplies to Europe and, and thinking about gas, 
um, well, simply we don't have enough gas to make it through the winter um, on normal consumption. So we will have to raise on gas. Prices will go much higher than today. And we will need to dictate, governments in Europe will, will need to dictate which industries get what uh, gas supplies and which industries simply will have to shut down for the winter. Um, it's just pure mathematics. There will not be enough gas. Okay, so picking winners and losers. And just very briefly, Duncan, um, is the UK really in a better place than Europe to weather that sort of storm? No, I don't think the Europe is. Britain is. You know, it's less directly dependent on Russian energy, but obviously this is fungible. Um, you know, it has a knock-on impact. You know, the British economy, and we've got rising interest rates. We've got reasonably tight fiscal policy. We've got squeezed consumers. The export environment's tough, particularly after Brexit. Business isn't investing. You know, it's hard to say what is going well for the economy. That was the journalist and author Duncan Weldon and Bloomberg Opinion columnist Javier Blas speaking to us on Bloomberg Radio. We've also been speaking to the former Bank of England governor, Mark Carney, about the the challenges of managing inflation. He told Bloomberg Television's Danny Berger that policymakers are falling behind real-world events. I think what uh, central bankers, and uh, let's assume the Fed does 75 basis points, we'll find out in a few hours, uh, I think what's clear is central bankers need to catch up to their economies. Uh, they've, you know, they've been behind the curves, they've acknowledged this, um, and they need to start to get interest rates uh, above uh, inflation uh, effectively, or at least perspective inflation, inflation expectations. So right now, as you know, you reported last Friday, uh, inflation expectations in the U.S., at least under consumer expectations, 3.3%. So you're not going to start to bring inflation down if uh, your policy rate is materially below that. They need to start moving more rapidly. Does it make sense to front end, front load those? Well, it, uh, to the extent you can, uh, it does make sense. If you're far behind, it does make sense to front load. Just like the converse was, uh, we front loaded some pretty big cuts when there was uh, sharp shocks. I think what is as important, though, if I may, Danny, uh, today is not, uh, obviously it matters whether it's 75 basis points, but what really matters, to me at least, is what is the committee saying about the future path of rates? Uh, is there potentially, you know, are we getting to three and a quarter, three and a half by the end of this year? Oh, pardon me? Do you think they'll go to 4%? Market pricing uh, that ultimately, in Ultimately, look, I think ultimately perhaps being in that range of 4% will be necessary. Remember, they also have some quantitative tightening as well. Two other things, though, I would look for. One is... Where do they think the longer-term interest rates are going to be, the so-called equilibrium rate? Back in March, they, the average was 2.5%. My personal view, that's no longer realistic, given the shifts in the global economy. Uh, that should be higher. And then as well, very importantly, again in March, it didn't feel credible that inflation could come down without unemployment moving up uh, from these very tight levels. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. 
Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.